Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons. I hope it is a blessing to you and contributes to your spiritual growth. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting this ministry. God bless. Now let's get to the sermon. Romans chapter 1. You'll remember back at Christmas we looked at the first seven verses of the letter to the Romans. And we were specifically looking at how Paul references Christmas. He references how Jesus was born. He was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. But it was the resurrection that verified every claim, everything that he taught, that he was indeed the Son of God with power, holy. And then, uh, what was it? It seems like it's been so much time. It's flown by here in the last little bit. But we looked at Acts last week. And whether you realized it or not, I was also kind of referencing Romans. Because as we looked at that list of nations and peoples that came for that Jewish festival that year, there were Romans there, both Jews and Gentiles. They had come and they got a lot more than they anticipated because the Holy Spirit had came as promised by by Jesus. And even though he had ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit to empower his people to be witnesses. And on that day, 3,000 confessed Jesus as their Savior. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the breaking of bread and in fellowship and in prayer. And we have every reason to believe they continued steadfastly in doing that, not only while they were in Jerusalem, but they did it when they went home too. And that's where the old church in Rome got started and had continued as they steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles, in breaking beds, celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper together, in fellowship, in speaking of the things of God with one another, and then in prayer and speaking with God of the things going on around them. And so Paul, who had never been to Rome, he'd heard of their faith. And he was eager to go and fellowship with them, to pray with them, to break bread with them, and to teach them. And so as his matter of introduction, he wrote this letter. And you'll realize as we work our way through the letter to the Romans, he talks less about himself and he talks a lot more about Jesus. And I think that tells us how he viewed himself, that he was decreasing so that Jesus would increase. He would be known for his Savior, not for himself. And so we're going to just pick up at the next spot here in in. Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to start in verse 8, go through verse 17, and we're going to look at his, his desire to see them, but also he's going to tell them in a few short verses, this is what I'm, what I'm hoping to talk about. 
And so if you would, out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pause for prayer. Father, we're thankful for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and to sing those together. It it feeds our soul. And so, Lord, we ask that as we come to this part of, of our worship time together, that you would move in the children's chapel, move in here, Lord, that seeds would be sown of the gospel, that the lost would be saved to put their trust in Jesus Christ of Nazareth for their eternal salvation, that lives would be transformed as we surrender our wills and our way to your will and your way, and that your name would be praised that we would look more like Christ in the things that we say and do, giving you the glory for that. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness to do these things and more. We pray for revival. We need it. I need it. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the true King, And the great liberator, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so we see here where the Paul, he he kicks it off, doesn't he? He says, so I thank God. He's a man of prayer. Apostle Paul, as his impressive resume is, he didn't do anything without talking to God. But then he's following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Who was God and still spent time in prayer. Would get away from the crowds, would get away from, uh, even it seems like from the disciples to spend time one-on-one with his, his father. But Paul, he is a man of prayer. And so we see two things about his prayer. And one is that thanks. He had a lot that he was thankful for. And this was something he didn't have anything to do with. He didn't have anything to do with how the Romans were praised throughout the Roman Empire for their faith in God. 
Like I said, they got saved at Pentecost, went home. There were some others. There's a lots of travel in the Roman world. And, and so they were known and they had, their little church had grown and their faith, they're in the middle of what Peter called Babylon. They were growing faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Long ways from Jerusalem. But he also, in his prayer, he prayed for them. Prayed that that would continue, that work would not end. And I think it is interesting that both, there's two letters that Paul wrote to people he had never visited. One is Romans, the other one is Colossians. And in both of those, he talks about how much he prayed for them. And then you read some like Ephesians and Philippians and those places that he visited often and he was praying for them. And so I don't know how much time he spent in prayer each day, but it sounds like he spent a lot of time in prayer. And I am reminded, it's a, it's a, a, uh, if you're not familiar with uh, uh, Dwight Moody, the the evangelist before Billy Graham, but he was one who, uh, he made a point of, of spending time with God daily. He was a tremendous preacher. He knew the word of God. And someone asked him, how do you make time to pray? And he says, I don't, I can't do anything without praying. That he saw prayer as the first priority and everything else had to sift around that rock in his schedule. And I think that's a lesson for us. That it is a revealer of our, of my priorities as to how much time and how frequently in the day I'm spending time in prayer. And it doesn't just mean, you know, but it, it, it includes spending that time alone, focused in there, but also through the day as I'm driving, talking, whatever I'm doing, spending time with the Father. Just communication with Him. And so Paul, as a pastor is praying, making requests. And in that request, he also, he wanted to be one who would go and visit these people. And, and there, it's interesting because he says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, he was a very gifted individual, it would seem, as he traveled and, and taught and made disciples and in those disciples started churches. And, and he, I don't know how he did it all, but he did so much. And he uh, says, I want to share that with you. But what is fascinating to me is verse 12, he sees it as reciprocal. He's not the only gifted person in the room, is he? That you would be a blessing to me as we share in our mutual faith. And this is where it, this, if you think about it and you've experienced it, then you realize it. But there is something, there is something spiritual that takes place when a couple believers get together and start talking about Jesus. Amen. It stirs within us because He is stirring within us. That is who the Holy Spirit is, is He is one who gives praise to the Son to reveal things about Him. And it is something empowering when you talk about what God is doing in you and when I get to talk about what God is doing in me and we realize, oh, the same God is working in each of us 
in different ways, in similar ways. And, and I think a lot of folks, after they've made profession of faith, if they don't have that someone else to share that faith with, then it is easy to doubt. It is easier to wonder. But when we have that communion, that opportunities to speak from the heart of the things of God and what He's really doing inside us and the things that I'm struggling with, it's, it's powerful. I was asked Wednesday by a, a youth pastor friend of mine, why are you a Christian? And it was part of a lesson he was going to be teaching, but why are you a Christian? And I thought it was odd. He, was, he asked two preachers that. And, uh, but as I thought about it, you know, the reason I became a Christian was because I felt the conviction of sin. We were talking about that just a little bit ago. Conviction of sin. I knew I was a sinner, that I was alienated from God, and I did not want to continue for another day with that sense of conviction over my sin. A sinner in the hands of an angry God, that I deserved hell. I didn't want to go there either, but I just wanted peace. And that's what prompted that 11-year-old me to kneel down and ask God to move in. Oh, and he did. He did. But you know, that was 11, oh my gosh, I don't even want to tell you how many years that's been, but that's been 40 years since that took place. I've grown a little bit since then, physically and spiritually and emotionally and all those ways. What is it that it says Jesus did? He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And if he did, then I hope we do too. But why I'm a Christian today is different than then. It isn't just to stay out of hell. Well, one, I know it is God who works in me to keep me, to guard me. Um, That's his spirit at work in me. He's the seal and the guarantee of my salvation. But it's less about propositions and, and, and philosophy and things like that. Why I'm Christian today in my, in my choice is because of, of a relationship. He's the living God. And he, as we sing, he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. It, he's the faithful friend that I've had for 40 years. And so it would be harder for me to deny him than it would be family because he's been with me like family all these years. No matter where I went, no matter what I was doing, his spirit. Even when I was in sin, he stayed faithful to me, convicting and correcting and instructing. And I don't know why I got off on this, on this tangent, but it is, it is that relationship with him. And one thing that I've found as, as a believer, I still benefit from hearing how he's worked in your life as well. You know, some of you are, are great at sharing those stories um, of how God has worked and how you've seen him work. And that's 
and others of us, it's, it's really kind of private and it's quiet and it's hard to talk about ourselves anyways, but it's, it's good to hear how God is, has worked and rescued us. Because it's an ongoing work, isn't it? It's not something that, that stops. And so the Apostle Paul himself says that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That, that living relationship with the living God. And, uh, and he goes on and he talks about how he really wanted to come, but he's been providentially hindered. And, and spoiler alert, uh, when he does finally get to Rome, it's not under the circumstances that he was praying for. He had prayed that he would get to just travel there of his own will and go do. But no, he had to spend two years in a prison in Caesarea. And then he got to travel in chains on a boat. They got shipwrecked in the middle of the Mediterranean and eventually gets to Rome as a prisoner. I'm pretty sure that's not the way he was praying for it to happen. But you remember that God answers prayer. He got Paul to Rome. But in the process, he was bringing Paul to Rome in the way that Paul would be most effective to serve in Rome. And in that Roman stay, we get those letters like Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. And our faith would be impoverished without those letters born out of that arduous journey and time he spent in Rome. Because Paul was a debtor. He understood that he had been given much by Christ. And the only thing he could give back is to give to God's people, both Greeks and barbarians, both the, the civilized elites as well as the uncouth rednecks of the Roman world. He, he was a debtor to them all. He wanted to see all of them get saved, whether it was to, to the educated and, and elite of, of the wise or just those who, who honestly didn't have good sense to come in out of the rain. They all needed Jesus equally. Do you see? We, we see distinctions of class and, and economics and things like that, you know, but Paul says, eh, they're all lost. It doesn't matter how much money was in your bank account if you wind up in hell. What matters is if you have Christ. And so he proclaimed Christ. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And he's going to unpack what all that means. But you're going to realize that the gospel for him, well, we've got four books, that, four letters that kind of tell us what the gospel is. The gospel is a person. That the kingdom of God, the king is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, as the scriptures foretold, live the sinless life, just as the scriptures foretold, died on a Roman cross, just as the scriptures foretold, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, just as the scriptures foretold, and that he proved himself alive and that he ascended into heaven 
to reign and to make intercession for us, just as the scriptures foretold. And that he's coming again, just as the scriptures foretold. The gospel is a person, but the benefits of that person and all that he accomplished, we receive by faith. It's not by whether I'm a member of this of this organization or this association. It's not whether I've had a certain ritual or rite ministered to me or have done to myself. It is not any of those things. It is only and blessedly by just believing in Christ. Believing Him. And yet it's really hard to do that, isn't it? We want, it's like, surely, is that it? Yeah, because it's a lot more. He's a lot more. But yeah, and that's where he says, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. It's the power of God to liberate us from the penalty of our sins. The penalty of our sins, as I shared just a little bit ago, is hell. To be eternally separated from God is torment. And yet, so many of us, so many of the world, they're oblivious to that. And try not to think about it anyways. They don't even want to think about death, much less what happens after. And so Paul, he's going to unpack the danger that that people are in so that he can... Tell them the good news. The bad news sometimes has to be heard before the good news can be, can be received. It is the power of God that isn't just taking care of the penalty of sin, but it is right now giving us power over sin. I'm not a slave to sin as I used to be. The temptations come nonetheless, but I don't. I'm not a slave to those temptations to follow those desires anymore. I still do sometimes. I make dumb decisions sometimes. But by the glory of God, it's not as bad as it used to be. I'm not who I could be. But I'm not who I will be yet either. And it is the power of God that one day... As we sang earlier, we'll be freed from the presence of sin. All that temptation and, the, and this bent nature is going to be replaced. I cannot imagine how great that is going to be. Even so, Lord, come quickly. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Jesus was a Jew. Just as was foretold to to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, as foretold through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Just keep going. God has been telling this story over and over. And so when Jesus came, as, as Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, salvation is of the Jews, but it is offered to you. It is for all who would 
believe. I'm glad I don't have to be of the right ethnicity or the right um, color or the right whatever. It's just, it's offered to all. And when Paul would would go into a new city, he would look for Jews. He would look for them because he knew, well, they've got the seeds already sown there. They know a little bit of scriptures. And so he would start with them and who, whatever Gentiles had been hanging around the synagogue a little too much. And, and he would teach and preach to them. And some of them would get saved and some of them wouldn't. But he didn't let that deter him. Then he'd just go into the marketplace and he'd start building tents and people would come by and he'd start sharing Christ with them at work. He still made, I bet, really good tents, but he, that was his, that was his platform. The power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Because ultimately, what God is doing for us is He is trading us. I think as, a, as an 11-year-old kid, I didn't have it all figured out at that point. That had to come a little later on. But He still made the trade. That he took my sin and gave me his righteousness. The righteousness accomplished by Jesus of Nazareth. That sinless life. You may wonder, well, why do we make such a big deal out of that? Because it's a really big deal. You're not saved from your sins if he wasn't sinless. He lived the sinless life. Not just to be an example but also to be our substitute. And so that righteousness of God transferred to me. And so when God looks at me, as a judge, he doesn't see all those sins. They've been transferred, nailed to the cross. Instead, he sees the righteousness of his son clothed on me, the white linen. I don't deserve it, but boy, I'm thankful for it. And again, he says, and and this is still plan A for God. It wasn't that the old covenant was a failed attempt. The old covenant was by the same method. They were just looking forward to something that we can look back on having been accomplished. And that's why he quotes, you may not see the word Habakkuk in there, but that's who he's quoting there in verse 17, that the just shall live by faith. The just by faith shall live. That by that simple trust in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God is transferred to me. And that is our means of life, eternal life. And so you hear Paul's heartbeat here. He's going to spend the next several chapters of the letter to the Romans expanding on, those, on that simple thing, the righteousness of God being transferred to sinners in need, being transferred to them by faith. You may think, preacher, how can you preach on that for as long as you're going to plan on preaching on it? Well, that's an amazing thing. And I don't know if you thought about this, but 
you know, diamonds are really tiny things when you're back away for a ways, but they sparkle real pretty, right? And, and for some reason, there's a lot of women, they really think they're real special to have. But an amazing thing about one of those is when they're cut right, you bring it up close and you start seeing more and more detail and sparkle coming out of it the closer you look and the closer you look. Now flip it the other direction. Those stars in the sky, they sparkle. But have you ever noticed the pictures coming back from the Hubble and the, and the Webb telescope and those things? They, the closer they get, the not only the bigger they get, but the more sparkle there is in them. The gospel is just like each of those things. It seems small and simple. Simple enough that a six-year-old can trust in Christ. Or an 11-year-old. Or just the simplest 40, 50-year-old. But when you get close and start to look at it, you realize there are so many facets an amazing beauty revealed. And it's a whole lot bigger than you realize. And so I pray that we, we come to God's word with that hunger to see the treasure God has for us in this salvation. Because we'll treasure what we see. And so we're going to have a song of invitation And in that song of invitation, it is, I think there's two things really that one is, if you haven't been saved, I think today would be a super day to do that. We're not even promised this afternoon, much less tomorrow. And so it would be the time to do that. When the Holy Spirit prompts, it's a great time to do that. But for others of us, maybe we have been saved. We kind of get lackadaisical. We get apathetic both about our own salvation and the salvation of those around us. Maybe we even get ashamed to even speak of Christ. We live in a hostile world to the things of Christ, almost as bad as Rome. Not quite. So maybe there's some confession and opportunities for obedience. But whatever it is the Holy Spirit is prompting this morning, will you stand and will you respond?